Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's an exciting time of the year for sports, and without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go. My bookie, if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, Try Parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, Parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. MyBookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you get an extra grand and free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is capital BLV to get your extra cash from MyBookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Today is Friday. We're talking prospects. I have with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis. Jim's obviously been doing this for over 30 years now. He's a senior writer over at MLB Pipeline. He's headed down to spring training in just a couple of days. He's on our show today talking prospects. His early start in his journalism career. A little bit more from the Astros scandal. Many more to come here on episode 165 presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter at, you guessed it, Belly Up Sports. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this show using Podchaser and Podbean, please. Need those reviews. Spring training in full effect, like I said, out in Arizona and Florida. And the best place to grab your tickets is over at TickPick.com. Use the promo code OSHO10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your next order. And it's always a great time to get off the couch and exercise. Head on over to MechaNutritionStore.com or for all the latest protein supplements. If you see the promo code OSHO20, you'll get $20 off your next order. That's capital O-S-H-O-W-20. Once. 65 coming in hot. For 25 plus years, I just wanted to get your insight on like what was the most intriguing uh, aspect for you to want to work in sports journalism growing up um yeah you know i, I just was always a, a big fan of uh of sport or, you know sports from a young age you know baseball is probably my favorite sport and i like football and i like hockey maybe basketball not so much and uh, i did a lot of reading as a kid and uh you know it's, it's, it's kind of sad now that the state of sports journalism but like you know i always read the sporting news and sports illustrated and inside sports and sport and i just love the stories and the idea of, uh, of of doing that type of stuff and you know i i was really fortunate in that when i was I'm trying to think i guess i was probably in college and you know again it sounds like it's like a thousand years ago i mean there was no internet you know right, there were yeah. no cell phones you weren't you know, certainly weren't watching, uh, uh, you know, games on your phone. You know, none of that stuff existed at, at all back then. And, um, uh, you know, I, I was, like I said, a huge baseball fan. So I, I guess I was in college, and I and I kind of stumbled on Baseball America. Um, and it was just, you know, at that point, I mean, they were covering stuff. Nobody else was really covering um, in uh in baseball, you know, it wasn't just, you know, major leagues, it was only a small part of it, but they were covering the draft and the minor leagues and colleges, and, 
uh, you know, it's weird. I still remember, I don't know why, but like one of the first articles I remember, <laughs> not that he ever became good, was reading about Brett Gideon, who wanted to pitch a little bit in the big leagues, uh, you know, but was in double A at the time. And I, and I just was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so when I went to college, you know, I, I, I'd take some, some journalism classes and read for my school paper in, in high school. And I, was, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for sure in college. Um, you know, I was always really good with math and numbers, and I thought about going to business school. And my high school journalism teachers uh, had rel- high school journalism teacher had relatives outside. I don't even remember what town it was, but they had a paper that wasn't that far away from the University of Georgia. So I, I wound up going to the University of Georgia, and my plan was I, I, I got accepted into business school, and I was going to work for my high school journalism teachers, you know, do some stuff with their paper and, and see which one I liked better. And, and that never really <laughs> happened because I wound up working for the school paper and, and never wound up, like, seeking out this, this outside paper, and, and I just loved it. So it just kind of reinforced what I wanted to do. And, and then I was, I was fortunate. The, the first year I was there, I, I covered basketball. I covered a variety of sports. Second year there, I was on the I was on the baseball beat, and it just so happened that we we, we had two first round picks on the team. We went to the College World Series for the first time, um, and, and it just kind of took off from there. And you know, back then, again, this will sound strange. There there was no internet or or anything like that. So like, if you want to find out where your team was ranked, say in Baseball America's uh, rankings, you, you literally had to call Durham, North Carolina, which is where their office was, right. and get them to read you the rankings. And, and so. By doing that, I got to know the, the guys there a little bit, and, and I wound up getting an internship, and, and then that turned into a full-time job, and then, then uh, yeah, I, I went from there. So what's your take on that? Like, obviously, like, when it comes to me, like, everybody has their podcast these days. I reach out to you via email. Do you like uh, the, how technology has advanced uh, in this day for sports media compared to, like, what you just said, kind of having to call Durham, North Carolina, in order to get those certain stats? Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, no, the technology's fine. I mean, I think, you know, technology's good. I, I, I think what, what, what I think the biggest difference from a journalism standpoint that it does now is it gives you an opportunity to show what you can do. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more now. You're not just, you know, writing a story. You know, you're, 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 you have to be on social media. You're shooting video. You know, you're doing all kinds of things. But what it does is, like, when I started, and, and I was fortunate because I, like, I landed a job at Baseball America right out of college. And so right away, I was covering college baseball and, and the Olympics and doing pri- – I was doing all kinds of stuff, running all around spring training. Um, but back then, I mean, essentially the, the career path, if you wanted to you know, be a writer, you know, sp- you know, a sports writer, uh, was you'd go work on, like, the local paper and probably be on the desk and doing editing and laying out pages and, you know, get to cover high school football and high school basketball and maybe do a feature here and there and, and then if you did good at that, you know, hope for an opportunity and, and, and go from there. You know, it's kind of an arduous process. Right. And there, and there really wasn't, like, a way to, to necessarily get noticed. But now, I mean, like you said, I mean, there, there's, there's podcasts, there's blogs. Like, you don't even have to work for any kind of established outlet. You know, people could, you know, you, you, you could write stuff on a blog and, and show people what you can do. And go from there, you know. And a lot of people have done that. You know, you can have a podcast, and and podcast is also not only a good way to show what you can do in that regard, but also a good way to network because you yeah. use it as an excuse to to find guests and, and, and go from there. So no, I, I think it's all good. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the one, the, the one, I guess drawback, I would say, or, or the one that jumps out the most, 
is, is I do think, and I'm going to sound like a crotchety old man here, but <laughs> I do think people have gotten more interested in who's first rather than who's right. And there's this rush to be the first to have something on Twitter. Right. And, you know, and, and, and you know, hey, if you're wrong, who cares? You know, you know it's just, hey, you're, if you're first a certain amount of time, that's fine. So I kind of lament that. I, I think um, the, you know, maybe standards of journalism have eroded a little bit, um, you know, because of that. But, you know, all in all, no, I, I think the technology is good. I mean, I think especially for, for someone like you or anybody else who's, who's you know, starting, you know, just starting at the beginning of their career, like I said, it, it's a great way to show what you can do. Like, you know, just for instance, you know, if, like, you know, and I covered football at Georgia too, but let's say I wanted to cover, I was at Georgia and I wanted to cover football. Well, you know, I'm probably not going to be on that beat, you know, my first couple of years because they have a bunch of people who, you know, probably more experienced to want to be on that beat. But, you know, I, I, I could blog about it. You know, yeah. I, and I can show people what I could do. And, and so, you know, and you, you could be, you know, Craig, you could, you know, if you had a blog, you know, I mean, and I know there's people who, who do this in the prospect world who, you know, you know, talk to a bunch of prospects. And, and you know, and again, you, know, you go out, you, you can show people what you can do. You know, you, you have that opportunity. So I think I think that's all that, that's all good if you can just cut through the, you know, cut through the noise you have to at times. But, but all in all, no, I think it's a, it's a really positive development. So, so why uh, kind of specify in uh, prospects when it comes to baseball as opposed to anything else? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, now at this point, I, I really would have no desire to be a beat writer. Right. Uh, just because I feel like, you know, again, I mean, it is, that, that job's changed a lot, you know, from when I started. But now it's like 24-7, 365. And there's some aspects of my job that are like that too, although it's not, you know, it's not as you know. There's a lot more news going on around a major league team, or a lot more demand for news than there is. So it's not quite the same 24 seven, 365 that it is for being a beat writer. But um, you know, I think when I started, you know, like I said, I think I was attracted to Baseball America just because they were doing stuff that was different. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know, 21 year old me, if I'd had the opportunity to to go be a beat writer somewhere, you know. Not that you necessarily would out of college, but, you know, I, I might have gone down that path, and it just so happened that, you know, I, I, I was kind of right place, right time for, for Baseball America. But, you know, I, I just, I think I always have kind of enjoyed, you know, and it's the reason I still enjoy my job, is trying to figure out who, who the, 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 the stars of tomorrow are going to yeah. be. Uh, you know, like there's no, there's, there's no, like, you know, formula. You just plug in some numbers. Okay, this guy's good. That guy's not. And, I like trying to dig on that stuff, you know, especially in the on the draft. You know, I, I enjoy trying to dig and and find guys who maybe you know haven't gotten a lot of publicity and you know are, are going to be good big leaguers. And, and so I, you know, I, I still like we're in the process of doing our top thirty prospects list right now. Right. This up. And I and I still, you know, it's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm right in the middle of writing our Cubs list right now, and you know, you, I, I'll sit there and I mean, I will go back and forth like. You know, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter which player is number 18 and which player is number 19? Probably not, but I, I still will sit there and agonize over a little bit, like, oh, man, these guys are close. You know, why do I like this guy better than that guy? Um, but no, I, I just think it's always been kind of that, that, that you know, I don't know, a feeling of, you know, not that you discover the players, but, you know, kind of that feeling of discovery where, you know, learning about guys for the first time or telling people about people, uh, you know, about, you know, prospects who are going to be really good that they haven't heard about and, and trying to put those guys in perspective. So, I, you know, I've been doing it for, I guess, over 30 years now, and, and I still enjoy it. How, how difficult is it putting together those mock drafts, though? Um, I mean, it is and it 
it is. I mean, yeah. the, the, the easy part is, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, like, you, you're like, you, you can, you know, it's kind of like I was just saying about doing the top 30s. On one hand, there's a limit to how many you can actually get right. Right. I mean, it, 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 you know, at some point, you know, you're going to miss a pick. You know, and then they start to snowball because, you know, if, if I pick the wrong guy at five, well, that guy's going somewhere else. And, and it just is what it is. So on one hand, like, you can only do so well. You know, like, like you, you basically, you know, like, you know, I had, you know, people, you know, I had the really great run, I think, in 2005 where I got the first 17 or 18 picks right, which was oh, yeah. insane. And, like, and the thing was, at the time, like, uh like, I'll never, I, I knew, like, I'll never come close to doing that again. Like, that, that was just, you know, kind of, you know, the, the ones where I had to kind of guess, I guessed right early, and, and it kind of went from there. Um, so, anyway, I'm, I'm getting rambling about this question. I, I was going to say, it's hard and it's not hard, because on one hand, it's hard, you know, to, to get them all, you know, to get a lot of them right, because they do snowball when you start to miss them. Yeah. The first side is, like, like nobody's holding you to a standard of, oh, you know, you got to get the first 30, you know, you got to get all 30 picks right in the first round. So, you just, like, I don't find it hard. I find that fun because I just try to talk to as many people as I can, and you go with the best information you got. I mean, I, I do, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, I do kick myself. Like, last year, the last piece of information I had led me to switch who I had to a number 10 to the Giants, and I had it right originally. Um, and so, it's like, ah, come on. But, like, I, I enjoy that. And one of the fun parts about doing the mock draft, doing those, is I do feel like that's a time of year where I can kind of help people who I'm usually asking for information. I can help them, too. I can help teams and agents with what I'm hearing. Um, and the nice thing is is that unlike the NFL, where it sounds like all the teams lie to all the writers about who they're going to pick and everybody tries to hide what they're doing because there's so many trades, yeah. you can't trade first-round picks in baseball. So nobody, you know, I mean, there is some misdirection, but, but nobody has to worry that, like, if, if it gets out that, oh, the team that's picking six wants so-and-so, somebody's going to jump up at five to get that guy, so then the team six isn't going to tell people. So, um, they, they, I mean, it's a lot of phone calls, um, and, you know, yeah, writing the last one, you know, like, you know, midnight, you know, the night before the draft, they're just like, man, I'm tired. You know, it's like, it's, it's like that part's a little grueling, but, but I do find that part fun. Oh, there's totally, like, all those different scenarios. Like, in 2018, I'm sure, with uh, the whole Kyler Murray situation, didn't know if he was going to pursue baseball or football. How, how did that go in 2018? Well, that's funny you bring that up, because, you know, well, Kyler, we knew he was going to get drafted in baseball. And, you know, the, and the thing was, at the time, you know, he wasn't really considered that much of a football prospect, because at the time, he hadn't played because Baker Mayfield had been there. Yeah. He, he transferred to that year, and then he played behind Baker Mayfield. And you knew he was good. You know, I mean, you knew he was an intriguing quarterback, um, you know, who was, you know, arguably the best high school quarterback in the history of Texas high school football, which is saying something. Um, you know, and he'd had some success at Texas A&M before he transferred. Um, but, you know, he hadn't played, and he was kind of small. And honestly, at that time, the, the consensus was, look, the guy's probably, you know, he, like, if you told me at the time, and I talked to a lot of people about it, that he'd win the Heisman Trophy, I would have said, okay, you know what, that's not far-fetched because of the system you know, that they have at Oklahoma, his background, you know, okay, I can see that. But if you told me he was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, I would have said, yeah, I was not getting that kind of feedback at all. The feedback at the time was he was kind of like a third to fifth round NFL quarterback prospect because he was so small. Yeah. Um, and he hadn't done anything. So the, the thinking was, look, he's going to have a more lucrative career and he'll be a higher pick in baseball and make sense to go in baseball. And it was just a question, like, you knew – you knew he, he loves football. And I, I, I told people this all along. Once he started to blow up, 
that I did think he was going to want to play football once it became apparent he was going to be a high enough pick to where he was going to get an opportunity, like even if he would have been like a second-round pick. Because this is a guy who could have been like a first-round pick out of high school in baseball right. and took himself out of the draft because he wanted to play football. So I knew he loved football. So the only, the only concern really was not that you were going to lose him in the NFL, but that you know, he'd been waiting two years to play at Oklahoma, and he was definitely going to play in the fall. So whoever took him was going to have to let him play football. I and mean, there's some injury risk, but like you said, everybody felt like, look, you're going to get him back. And I mean, honestly, I mean, you go back with Scott Boris was telling people at the winter meetings that year, I, I think, uh, I don't know if he'd won the highest trophy at that point, but like, you know, Scott Boris expected him to report to a spring training at, at that point still, even in December. Um, so anyway, with, with Kyler... The issue, the, you know, we, we thought he'd go in the first round. He was kind of a wild card, so you weren't sure where. You heard his name mentioned as high as the fifth pick. But what kills me on Kyler is, like, so the A's were picking ninth, and I was having trouble. Like, there's some years where, like, things fall together nicely. Other years where you're like, ah, I'm not sure who's going to go here. Right. And, like, looking back, like, with Kyler, um, like, like, two things. One, I knew the Mets liked Jared Kelnick. But, like, there were some, like, signability questions, and I talked myself out from the Kelnick 6, but, like, I could not pin down who the A's were picking at 9. I was really struggling. And I had a lower-level source tell me, like, like about five – Jonathan May and I, we'll do an updated mock draft, just names only, about an hour before we go on the air. So we were, like, coming up against that, and I had to get it finished. And um, I had a lower-level A's source tell me, I think we're taking Kyler Murray. And I could not confirm that. Um, I could not get anything on the agent side or, or higher up on the team side, and it was going to blow up my draft because then I was, you know, it's one thing, like I said, so like if I put Kyler Murray nine, I got to take the guy, you know, it was, right, yeah. I, was like, ah, I just can't go with it. And then, um, and then I, then so I set that in, and then I found out, um, like a half hour later, they were taking Kyler Murray, and I was like, ah, I mean, it was, it was nice. I was able to throw that out as kind of breaking news on the draft broadcast, but, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. So like I said, they're not. I find those things more fun. They, they take a lot of time to put together and write. But, like, I do, like, you can tell, I, I still second-guess myself because, like, ah, I should have just gone with the guy told me Kyler Murray. But I, I just, it was, it was, it was like, really late in the process, and I couldn't confirm that. And right. It's funny because I remember telling Jonathan, May and I were sharing an office, and then we'll be network today, and they're like, we were always working on our mock and, and, and kind of being quiet. And then we were getting done, and I just said, you know, I said, I just found out something. I said, I don't think I can pull the trigger on it, but I'm going to be really mad if I don't, and it happens. And, and that was Kyler Murray. So. <laughs> well, obviously, you mentioned you changed one pick. It's kind of like that domino effect. You kind of have to rearrange some other pieces in that mock draft. There's, like, there's a few other guys that uh, I think, obviously, last year could have gone in the draft. I know it was for certain that uh, uh, Al Leiter, Jack Leiter, I played against him my senior year in high school in Jersey against Del Barton. He obviously now at uh, Vanderbilt. I know Al Leiter wanted him to uh, pursue co- a college education first and foremost, but could he, could Jack Leiter have gone in last year's draft, in your estimation? Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, yeah. If Jack Leiter was signable, I think there were teams that, you know, and, and, and he had, you know, it's funny because you're, you're, what you get in the baseball draft is not just tied into how good you are, but it also reflects your leverage. And, you know, obviously Al Leiter made a lot of money during his major league career, so it's not like the family needed money. Right. And Al really wanted Jack. Like, I think Al, from talking to him, you know, Al did a lot of things in baseball, but one thing he didn't get to do because he signed out high school was go to college. And I think he wanted that experience for, for Jack, if Jack wanted it. And, you know, Jack got recruited by Vanderbilt, which is premier program in the country. They just won national championship. And the thing that people, I think, lose sight of a little bit too is, 
you know, let's give all high school pitchers should never go to college, you know, if they're going to get a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. You know, Jack will be a draft-eligible sophomore next year. So he, he's only there for two years if he wants. You know, he, he could be drafted next year because he'll be 21 at that point. But, um, you know, be, get back to your question. Yeah, he, he would have been a first-round pick, and somebody would have paid him $4 million. Or, or he might have slid a little bit because of signability and still got paid. But, I mean, he, he could have had, I think, $4 million pretty easily if he was willing to sign. Um, he, he just wasn't. Wow. And we'll see again next year. Uh, who, who are your, uh, you mentioned you're working on your top 30 right now. Who are your top picks for this season's draft? Obviously, out of Andy, you got uh, the likes of Austin Martin. I know Torkelson out here for ASU is a phenomenal bat. Uh, Emerson Hancock out in Georgia. Who do you got going in uh, your first round pick? Yeah, no, I mean, you, you got those guys. You know, and like, well, our, our, we, our draft stuff, we have a, a hundred, top 100 list we did in the winter. So we're working on team top 30s right now, and then we'll, we'll, then we'll circle back and start doing draft again. But, but yeah, I mean, those are the three main guys. I think Nick Gonzalez, um, uh, middle infielder from yeah. Mexico State, is kind of right there with them. Um, you know, it, it's early. You know, the Tigers still have, you know, over three months to figure it out. I, I do kind of feel that given that, they, that their pitching is by far the strength of their minor league system, that unless Emerson Hancock or, or Asa Lacey or some other pitcher just is unbelievable, that they probably would go position player. Um, you know, you know, you know, with Martin, you know, he's playing third base. He's not playing shortstop at this point, which I think some scouts were hoping they'd, they'd see him as shortstop. So if you want to try to project him, if you want to try to project him as a shortstop, you know, you, you can't do it based on watching him in game action right now. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think Torkelson would. would you know, if I had to pick one name right now, I'd say Torkelson. But honestly, I mean, I think it's 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 any of those guys. Now, out of college, out of like uh, the entire college baseball scheme in the NCAA, who do you think has the most talent on at least one team for the draft? Yeah, or, or uh, yeah, well, for this yeah. year's draft, I think it's Arizona State because you got Torkelson and you got Williams and you got Workman and even um, uh, who's the, the reliever? His name's escaping me. It's RJ. Um, I know that I know Arizona State's got four guys on our top 100 mm-hmm. right now, so I'd say them from a from a from a 2000 uh, RG them from a 2020 draft standpoint. I don't think they're necessarily you know the number one team in the country per se, um, but um, like I, I think right now, you know Florida. I think Florida's kind of consistent number one. I think they just yeah, Miami. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and again, I mean, it's early. I mean, things change over the, over the course of the season. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think Louisville's got a pretty good team too. And then yeah, I got to see Vandy for a game. We did the MLB four broadcast and they're kind of retooling, but their pitching is ridiculous. And yeah, you know, my, my alma mater has a good team this year, although they've had a good team the last two years and, and, and fell short of Omaha. So I'm hoping Georgia gets back there this year. Now you cover uh, football for them. You said you cover baseball too. When you try? No, I mean, I did when I was in, I did when yeah. I was in college. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I did cover baseball um, for two years there. Um, first year when they went to the College World Series for the first time. Uh, so I got to go to that, and that was pretty cool. And we had two first-round picks, and, and Derek Loquist and Chris Carpenter. And, and Carpenter was also the punter on our football team. Um, and then I covered the team in 88, which was kind of rebuilding. But the, but the cool thing was, I went to Baseball America. I graduated in December 88. But when they won, they won the national title in 1990, and I'd gone to school with most of the guys on the team. So that was uh, that was kind of one of my my still you know you know 30 years later is one of my favorite professional memories was covering that team in Omaha when they won the national title. 
Now, speaking of Omaha, the MLB draft's going to be held in Omaha, Nebraska this year. Are you excited for that? I am. You know, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think it's—I I think it'll make for better broadcast because you'll have more players on hand. Right. I think having the draft, it'll be, I think, about you know, 10 to 14 days later than it normally has been. You have the possibility of getting more college players, even if they aren't at the College World Series, because they won't be involved. You know, with the tournament, you know, the draft typically has been right after the regionals have ended, and so a lot of guys are either you know moving on to another round or just got done, and the logistics of getting them to to Secaucus to the studios would be pretty tough. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it, you know, so I think it'll be able to make for better broadcast. Well, you'll have more players there. Right. I think it'll it'll bring more attention to college baseball, which is good for the sport. Um, I, I love college baseball. I tell everybody the College World Series is still year after year my favorite event to attend. Um, so I think it'll be good, good for both sides. And and I, you know, I've been to. I'm just trying to do the math in my head. I think I've been to not the whole, not the whole things, but but parts of 31 College World Series. Wow. Now. Um, you know, I, I went in '87 with Georgia. I didn't go in '88 because I was still in school. And then there was one year I, I've been I've been to at least part of the College World Series every year since then. Um, and I think I've seen the championship series. I've seen the, the, the championship game every year since then. Yeah, I think that's true, um, with the exception of uh, one year where I couldn't make it. But um, but I, I love the city of Omaha, too, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it from that standpoint. Uh, well, out of all those uh, championship games that have you been to, which one was your favorite when Georgia went? One of those first well, few? Well, favorite would have to be Georgia winning. Yeah. And it, it was a really good game, too. They, they won 2-1. to one. They were kind of bang-bang defensive plays to get, to get them out of like the last three or four innings. Um, it, it was ten, it was that game was probably very that was the tensest game for me to personally ever cover just because I knew so many of the guys on the team. But that that was that was that was really cool. Um, that but like I was also there. I mean, the most dramatic would have been in, in 1996 when Warren Morris, you know, the LSU's down by one, bottom of the ninth. Warren Morris is at the plate, and he was an All-American second baseman, but he had a handmade injury that year, which, you know, he missed a bunch of time. Uh, usually, you know, saps your power, and it did. He hadn't hit a home run all year. Right. And he hit a home run down the right field line uh, to, to win the game, like walk-off home run, win the College World Series. So that, that would have that been the most dramatic game I was at. <laughs> Man, and of course, moving into Omaha this year, you mentioned uh, a lot of players are going to show up. Obviously, the trip to Secaucus really isn't that doable for a lot of people. Wasn't it the uh, 2009 draft, like only one guy showed up and it happened to be Mike Trout? Like, what are the chances yeah, of that? Well, yeah, that was, yeah it's, the problem is, is that guys don't come for a variety of, of reasons, um, which is fortunate. I mean, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes logistics just intervene, especially for guys who are right. still in college. I, I do think sometimes you get I know there are agents who feel if the player comes, that's almost like a sign of weakness because they're, they're, they're showing they want to sign. But, I mean, come on, most of the guys, when they get taken the first round, the team knows exactly what they're paying the guy before they pick them. Um, but, but so anyway, there, there's a number of reasons. I mean, the, the, the logistics, the, the, the travel details aren't that bad because, I mean, MLB Network will, will get players who want to be there. They will get them there. Right. But, um, yeah, Trout just so happened to be because he um, – well, he would happen to be, you know, local. And right, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from New Jersey. So, um, yeah, it was just funny how that one worked out. <laughs> so, so who, in your estimation here, because this is an interesting topic for me, just watching prospects kind of climb the ladder into Major League Baseball, who's been the biggest disappointment in your estimation when it comes to being like a top-level prospect and really not having much success, if any success, at the big league level? Hmm. Um, I mean, I've 
doing this for, for 30 years. I mean, I mean, the, the guy who, who jumps out and he got hurt would probably be Brian Taylor, who was the number one pick in, in the 1991 draft. He signed for $1.55 million, which was like three times yeah, the longest yeah. record at that point. It was like a shocking amount of money at the time. Draft bonuses were just starting to take off. And, I mean, you said, there's still guys you talk to who will tell you he was the best left-handed pitching prospect that they've ever seen. You know, and it's 30 years later. Um, but, you know, he... You know, he, he was tearing up the minors. I mean, he, he, he you know, the stuff was electric. You know, radar guns didn't, you know, record guys throwing as hard. But, like, my, my guess is with today's radar guns and technology that's a little bit more precise, he was probably throwing, you know, close to 100 back then. And, you know, nasty breaking ball. Um, but he got hurt in a fight, you know, defending his brother and messed up his shoulder. And, and that was it. Um, so he, it would probably be him. Um, you know, and it's weird. The other guy who jumped to mind immediately without going back and looking at the list was Ruben Rivera, you know, just, you know, a lot of hype, um, a lot of people thought, you know, he had a chance to be a, you know, very special player, and, and it just didn't come together for him, so, like, he's another one, I mean, he, he played for a while in the big leagues, obviously, yeah. um, you know, whereas Taylor never got there, but, uh, you know, Rivera never, you know, never really had kind of the, the success people thought he might have. Yeah, never really reached the stardom that he, the, the potential that he had, who, who do you think has the most, uh, Overlooked per se, uh, farm system in baseball right now. Um, uh, let's see. Right now, you know, the, the, I'm thinking about this for a second. Um, I think a system that, that's really poised to make a jump. You know, I, I guess I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if it, yeah, I mean, I guess for me that would be the Indians. I, like, I yeah. really feel like a year or two, the Indians might have one of the best farm systems in baseball. Um, I, I think. I mean, I think. Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word overlooked per se, but I think it's on, it's on the rise. They have a bunch of just really talented young hitters who are, you know, pro, I mean, they, the, the best prospect is Nolan Jones, and he'll probably yeah. be in the big leagues this year next. And then they got a kid named Tyler Freeman who's really good back to ball skills, and he's not that far away. But they have a bunch of guys who who, who haven't played above low A, like like Bo Naylor and George Valera and Brian Rocchio and Aaron Bracho and. And Gabriel, they just have a ton of, of really talented young hitters. Um, you know, and they got you know they've gotten some good arms in the last draft, last couple of years, like Daniel Espino and, and Ethan Hankins. And I, I really do think that that's the farm system that we're going to look up, say, two years from now, and it'll, it could be one of the top two or three farm systems in baseball. Now that being said, do you think Francisco Lindor's time in Cleveland is kind of on borrowed time? Well, I mean, if you just look at the fact of, of what the owner said, yeah, yeah, I think you gotta you gotta think that. Um, you know, I mean, he, he still has two years before he's free agent. Um, you know, I, I don't. You know, from the outside, I, I don't understand why teams. You know, your window to contend isn't indefinite, and to me, instead of looking to trade guys before they become free agents, why not try to win with them? Yeah. Um, and then if it doesn't happen, you know, maybe you trade them during the summer. You know, you, you can still get players, you know, during the season, you know, for guys. You know, maybe not quite what you hope, but, um, yeah. No, I, it's, my, my guess is that after the 2021 season, he probably won't be in Cleveland. And obviously the rumors were swirling earlier in the offseason that he could potentially get traded to L.A. Now L.A. goes after Mookie Betts and David Price. What, what are your thoughts on that whole situation with the Red Sox trying to get under the uh, luxury tax threshold and trading away arguably one of the best players in baseball? Well, I mean, I understand why owners want to get under the, the, the luxury tax threshold. 
you know, especially the third year, I think it becomes really punitive. But at the same time, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you look at the, the, like, we'll just take the Red Sox, for example. You know, they got to be one of the, you know, top five wealthiest franchises in baseball. John Henry's got, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. The franchise is worth billions of dollars. Um, you know, I, I don't see how that makes them a better team. If it had been me, I wouldn't have traded him. I, I would have waited, seen how the team was this year when you think you have a chance to contend. If your team's not contending, maybe you trade him during the season. And maybe you don't quite get what you got for from the Dodgers with the way the trade worked out. Although, I mean, it sounds like Alex Verdugo may not even be able to, you know, physically ready to start the season. Right. Um, you know, I, I do like Jeter down some. Uh, but no, I, I just think uh, if I'm the union, I, I've got to look in the mirror and say, how do we get to this point? We, we basically gave the owners a salary cap. I mean, even when we've seen the, the, the Dodgers and Yankees have reset, you know, their, their luxury tax penalties. And, you know, I, I'm here in Chicago. I didn't grow up here, so I'm not like a Cubs fan. But, like, right. you're hearing it with the Cubs, too. Like, hey, we might trade Chris Bryant. Can't afford him. And, and you just look at the valuation of these franchises. One, I, I don't think people are losing money year to year anyway. Um, you know, maybe in a rare case here and there, but I'm skeptical that, that, that teams are losing money with all the money they get from media rights and, and various other things. So, one, I don't really believe teams are losing money year to year to begin with. But, two, even if you are, the, the, the profitability of franchise comes when you sell it. Um, you, know, you look at how the franchise values are skyrocketing across all sports. And so, even if you were losing you know, a few million dollars a year, which I would think would be more an accounting trick than an actual loss. Um, it, it's not like these guys are going bankrupt. So, you know, I guess get back to the question. Uh, I, I just don't think it's a good look for baseball. When you have, like, the, the, you know, one of the wealthiest teams in baseball that's playing and contending says, hey, we can't keep Mookie bad. So, like, I just, I, I don't believe it, and I think it, it, it just sends a bad message. There, there's no other sport than, than baseball, and we've gotten away from it recently, where the owners are constantly complaining or crying about, oh, I can't afford this yeah. guy, I can't afford that guy. You, you don't hear that in other sports. I mean, you may have some salary, like, they have actual salary caps in other sports, and they may have issues, but, like, baseball has no salary cap, and yet the owners are constantly crying about how they can't pay star players. Now, what, what's your take on the whole situation with their investigation? Obviously, it was supposed to come out a few weeks ago, per Rob Manfred, but if, uh, a couple other things have kind of popped up. They've had to re-interview some people. Do you think that the Red Sox, in any way, shape, or form, could potentially get slammed with a sign-stealing investigation, even remotely as close to the Houston Astros? I don't even know. I'm just not involved. Yeah. Who knows what they've uncovered? I mean, uh, you know, I, I do think that MLB wants to... You know, you know, make it so the teams are reluctant to ever try to do this again. Um, uh, you know, so I think I don't think that people necessarily believe the Red Sox were doing as much as the Astros were, but who knows what they were doing? And, and I think the commissioner will probably come down on them hard, especially since people felt like he came down. I mean, he's not to suspend players, but people felt like he was lax on the Astros. I think he's going to err on the side of. If it becomes to be too punitive or, or not punitive enough, he, he'll be too punitive to try to make a point. But, um, you know, I mean, with, I mean, with the Astros, I mean, I don't think the report details. Uh, the report certainly, you know, if you look at what came out in the Wall Street Journal later, the report certainly doesn't detail everything that MLB uncovered. And it certainly doesn't detail, you know, I, I think the general sense of baseball among other teams is that, 
there was a lot more stuff that went on than what was detailed in that report. Oh, 100%, but I, yeah. But, but, I, but I have, like I said, I have not, you know, I'm not involved in the investigation, so I have no idea what they're finding. But I, I would expect the Red Sox are going to get some kind of punishment. Um, but I don't. Even, but I don't even know what they're going to find that the Red Sox did. So I mean, I, I'd just be guessing. I mean, the, the, the curious thing is that you know they made a point even back in 2017 that you know basically you know the GM and the manager would be held accountable if this stuff went on, and, and that's yeah. certainly what happened in Houston. But Boston's already fired both guys, right? So like, I don't like. How do you punish Alex Cora? When he's already been fired, right? Do you suspend it, like do you suspend it, like I, I I don't know how that works. So anyway, I I have no idea what's going to happen with those punishments. Now, uh, your personal opinion here, obviously, this doesn't look like it's going to happen. All a lot of players are kind of pulling for it. A lot of uh, radio personnel are pulling for it. Uh, since that the Astros didn't really get punished in any way, shape, or form when it comes to, you know, money, uh, playing time, obviously. Obviously, their manager and their GM got fired, and all of their coaches surrounding them. Carlos Beltran out of a job with the Mets. Uh, you mentioned Cora with the Red Sox. Do you believe that, um, in a way, if this were to happen, if the Astros were some way somehow stripped of their title by Rob Manfred, that he would have to do the same to the Red Sox, even if they didn't do uh, anything as necessarily as, like, evil you could say as the Houston Astros did when it came to sign stealing? No, I mean I, I don't I mean I don't think you just have to have one punishment fits all. Right. There's differing degrees of guilt. But I also I, I, stripping a title to me is nonsense. I, I I'm not I'm not defending the Astros by any means and I think they've they, 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 the only thing they seem sorry for, honestly, is that they get caught, at least on the players' side. Um, I don't think they, they you know, or, or even on the ownership side, I don't think Jim Crane came off very well at all. But they won the World Series. It happened. We were pretending it didn't happen. It doesn't do anything. I mean, well, you know, like if you take the 2017 World Series away from the Astros, do you give it to Dodgers? What happens if it comes out that the Dodgers are stealing signs? Do you strip it for them? Right, which, yeah. Which, which, you know, which team that lost in the championship series do you give it to? So, no, I, I think it's stupid. I mean, it, it will be in virtually I think everybody not associated with the Astros a tainted championship um, but, but you can't take I mean when the NCAA does that stuff it's stupid too yeah um, like you know you, you, you can't take the championship away and, and I certainly don't think that even if you did that to Houston that you would automatically do that to Boston if Boston didn't have the same degree uh, of offense I mean if you're, if you're going to do that you know are we going to award the AL pennant to the Yankees in 2017 I mean you know if if you're going to, like, I don't, I, again, I have no idea what the Red Sox did, but if we, if we, you strip the title from the Red Sox in 2018, well, they played the Astros in the ALCS, so, like, who's your AL pennant winner? You know, like, right. you just can't go back and rewrite history like that. I, I, and another thing I will say, again, I'm not defending the Astros, and I don't think there's any, it obviously helped them, but, but there's, there's, there's absolutely no way to precisely, you know, identify exactly how much it helped them. I, I don't think it took a team that was like a 500 team and made it into a world champion. I think it, right. you know, I think it took a playoff caliber team uh, and made them better. You know, would they have won it without it? I, you know, I don't know. And again, the Astros have done that to themselves. That, that's the team. But like, you can't, we can't look at it and say, well, by doing this at home, the Astros scored an extra 1.73 runs per game. You, know, like, you just can't pinpoint it. You, you just don't know. I mean, you, you see things like Marlon Gonzalez, who apparently... 
you know, used it a lot, you know, had, had a career year. And Jake Marisnik, who used it a lot, had a career year. So, like, yeah, you, it, it makes you wonder. But, like, there's just no way of saying, you know, maybe they would have won even if they didn't cheat. You know, who knows? You know, it's, I don't... I, I don't feel like a lot of people in baseball believe that the Astros weren't cheating last year with the idea, like, why would they stop if they haven't been caught? Yeah. Um, but if you believe MLB's report that there was no evidence they cheated in 2019, almost won the World Series. So, like I said, it, like, it, I think it's hard to pinpoint exactly how much. It, it's kind of like steroids where it's not like exactly, steroids yeah. just automatically turn guys into 50 home run hitter. You know, there, there's some talent involved there, too. But, you know, it, it puts a cloud over it. All right, so, well, obviously, I think that's what Jim Crane was saying, how he truly believed that they didn't affect the games, or at least that's what he was saying. Yeah, which, yeah. Well, 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 Jim Crane's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the flip side, and again, I'm not, I wasn't trying to defend the answer. I was just saying you can't quantify exactly how much it helped. So but it did, yeah. That, that they wouldn't and couldn't have won without it. I, I think that assumption's ridiculous. But then the flip side, for Jim Crane to say he doesn't think it had any effect on the games, and then a minute later to say he never said that, yeah. that, that, that that's, that's even more ludicrous, because clearly it had an effect on games, or why would they have done it <laughs> as long as they did if it wasn't helping? And again, I mean, again, you can't quantify it, but you know, there's, a guy who, there's a guy out there who, who, you know, who tracked all the banging of trash cans to see you know, who had the most bangs. And then two of the guys who used it the most were Marlon Gonzalez and Jake Brisnick, who had the best years of their career in 2017. So, um, yeah, to say it didn't help them is ridiculous as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what the what the Red Sox comes out with here in the next few days. I think you said February 28th, so Saturday, that they're going to come out with that report. We'll see. I, I really don't know. But uh, I just want to go back to you here for a second uh, before we wrap up. I wanted to, uh, obviously, 30-plus years in the business, writing, you're with Pipeline right now. Uh, what's your ultimate goal when it comes to uh, journalism and sports? Or do you feel like you're pretty comfortable right now uh, with MLB Pipeline? No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I, it's, I, I was happy at Baseball America. It was just a, a good opportunity. I couldn't pass up to, to basically do the yeah. same thing at, at MLB Pipeline. But no, I mean, I, I enjoy what I do. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, that I'll, I mean, I guess as of right now, like, I'm not, I don't have any plans to do anything other than this until, you know, eventually when I retire. But but who knows what the industry will look like or, or, or what might change. So, um, you know, I'm also not naive to think that, like, I'm just going to automatically be at MLB Pipeline for the next 15 or 20 years or whatever. So, But, no, I don't, I don't really have, you know, there's nothing burning within me that I – I'm dying to accomplish that I, I haven't accomplished. I mean, I, I really enjoy my job. I, I still enjoy doing it, you know, after 30 years, you know, trying to evaluate prospects and talking to people in the game and going to watch players and then trying to make sense of it all. I, I, I still enjoy all that stuff very much. What do you feel like has been the uh, highlight of your career? Um, I mean, I don't, I, you know, honestly... I don't know if there's been any one thing. I mean, there've been a lot of you know things. I mean, I, I've enjoyed. I, I think one of the great things is <laughs> probably the best part of my job is that when people find out what I do, even people who aren't aren't necessarily big sports fans. But I don't have anybody go, boy, boy, man, that that job sounds tough, or that sounds like drudgery. Like I, I get, but everybody thinks I have like a great job, and I do because I really enjoy what I do, even on days where I'm really, really busy. It's still baseball, and, and it's still 
you know, trying to learn, you know, you, you keep learning things and, you know, there weren't, you know, spin rates and exit velocities and Rapsodo and all that stuff, you know, 10 years ago. Um, so you, you keep learning and you find ways to value players. But so, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the, the overall highlight would be that I still love my job as much as I did, yeah. you know, 30 years ago. You know, well, yeah, some things we talked about, you know, I, you know, covered the College World Series when Georgia won it and I'd gone to school with a bunch of those guys. It was pretty cool. Um, I got to cover... The, the, the first Olympics where baseball was an official full medal sport in 1992 in Barcelona, um, you know, that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I, I've, got, I've gotten to probably cover just about every baseball event that's out there, you know, going to the World Series and stuff like that. You know, it, it was cool, you know, from a, a personal standpoint, you know, getting the, the, the first 18 picks in the mock draft in 2005. I still have people who ask me about that. You know, it's been 15 years now. You know, that was that was, that was was kind of a cool deal at the time. Um, but, you know, there, there's been a lot of cool stuff. And, I like, I mean, I just, you know, like I said, it, 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 it is cool, too. And there are times when we're doing, you know, like a mock draft and, you know, the teams or agents will, will you know, they're, they're interested to hear what I'm hearing as much as I'm interested in hearing what they're hearing. You know, so I can kind of help them out. And, you know, there are times, too, where where teams will, you know, be working on trade and, and they'll, they'll sometimes, it doesn't happen a lot, but sometimes they'll check in like, hey, you know, what do you have on so-and-so? Do you have anything on this guy? You know, like, like, like you know, just stuff like that where you, I know I rely an awful lot on talking to scouts and front office executives and agents and people like that for information. So it, it, I always enjoy those times where I feel like I'm helping them. Uh, they're not just asking them to help me. Thanks once again to MLB Pipelines, Jim Callis, for the interview. One of the best in the game when it comes to prospects. Of course, they'll head down to spring training over the next few days out in Phoenix, as well as Florida. Uh, this was episode 165, the big 165, presented by Belly Up Sports. Be sure, be sure to follow Belly Up Sports on Twitter at belly up sports and remember be sure to rate review and subscribe to this show using pod chaser and Podbean. spring training again in full effect out in arizona and florida you better go grab your tickets using tickpick.com it's it's honestly the best choice use use the promo code osho 10 that's capital o-s-h-o-w 10 for ten dollars off your next order and again if you're into banging weights eating steaks and sleeping eights use the promo code osho 20 that's capital o-s-h-o-w 20 to get twenty dollars off your next order who needs a flashback friday interview when you got a brand new interview on tapped on friday morning thanks jim callis once again
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.